Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to the first ever 147 podcast with me, sports MC Phil Seymour, and him, the former Triple Crown winner and world champion, Sean Murphy. How are you doing, Sean? I'm good, Phil. How are you? Very I'm, excited I'm, to be here. Yes, yeah, so am I. The first ever 147 podcast. Now, we spoke about this ages ago, didn't we? Absolutely, yeah. We talked about this many, many years ago. And um, so many snooker podcasts have popped up. And, of course, podcasts have become a, a massive, massive deal. I listen to loads. Um, and we we spoke about it, I think, way back in Milton Keynes when we were all locked in. Remember those days? <laughs> uh, we weren't allowed to leave the venue. Um, it's taken us a while to get here, but I'm thrilled we are. It has. It's funny. We, we're both big podcast fans. I think it's fair to say snooker podcasts and, and otherwise. And we did a podcast last year. We... Got to know each other. For anyone that doesn't know, we did Snooker's Biggest Loser last year. We uh, had a bit of a weight loss contest, which I won, by the way, Sean. Clang. Clang. <laughs> I won Snooker's Biggest Loser, but the big winner was charity, of course. We raised over £7,000 for two very, very worthwhile charities. We got to know each other a bit better, I think, during that time. Um, I listen to a lot of podcasts, as I know you do. Um, there's some great snooker podcasts out there, Talking Snooker with, with Phil and Nick. Um, there's a snooker scene podcast with Dave Hendon, there's Talking Balls, there's loads of great snooker podcasts. And I think when we first talked about this, you said to me, look, I don't want to do a snooker podcast, which is quite difficult because you're a snooker player <laughs> and I'm sometimes a snooker MC. Well, snooker is the only thing I know anything about. I'm absolutely clueless about almost everything else. Um, but yeah, I mean... You know, I think the other podcasts that you've just mentioned, you know, I subscribe to them. I love them. I listen to them every time they come out. Um, I feel like they've got snooker covered. Uh, and certainly from, a, you know, interviewing players, stats, all that type of thing. You know, that, that they, we don't need to over-egg the pudding. Um, but I just thought there was a real good opportunity for us to get something down on tape. Um, I think we've got, you know, good chemistry between us. And um, I think people are always dead interested about certainly views and opinions from on the tour life and what goes on behind the scenes and just getting to know people a little bit better. And if you want to know the demographic that we're aiming at, we're getting it down on tape. <laughs> sure. <says. laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's going on tape, ladies and gentlemen, which is absolutely fantastic. So straight back to the 1980s. Not that we're old or anything. 
honest. Now, just to introduce who we are a little bit, for anyone that doesn't know, Sean is, a, as I said in the introduction, a Triple Crown winner, a, a world champion. Very much still, you are still a, a professional snooker player. Well, certainly recent results would, you know, kid you otherwise. You could be forgiven for thinking I've retired. Um, I remember I met Tony Mio a few years ago from 80s fame, and he asked me what I was doing now for a living. Uh, uh, and I wasn't sure if he was joking or not. So cheers, Tone. Uh, but yeah, I'm still playing. Still playing and commentating and doing punditry as well. Um, my name is Phil Seymour. I'm a sports MC. So I am sometimes the person that you see stood next to the snooker table saying people's names very loudly as they come out. I'm sometimes in a boxing ring, introducing boxers, sometimes in a wrestling ring, sometimes stood by a dartboard, all that stuff, really. Um, so anyone that doesn't know us, Sean is on Twitter at... Magician147. And I am at Announcer Phil, and the same on Instagram as well. For this podcast, it is all over social media, at 147pod. That's the words, 147pod. Please do go on there, interact with us, put questions on there. We asked for some questions on there um, before now, and we got loads of questions, which we will come to a lot of those later on. But, Sean, first of all, I have to pull you up on something straight away. Now, there's a saying, Sean, that in London... You are never more than six feet away from, you know? A snake? No, it's a Manchester United fan, actually. Now, listening to the Talking Snooker podcast, David Grace, a friend of both of ours, a professional snooker player, of course, and an amazing artist, um, he called you out recently. Um, he was talking about, about football. He's a big Leeds United fan, as, as I am as well, of course. And uh, My condolences to you both. Well, he said you're a Manchester United fan, but he wasn't sure why. And I know since then you and him have had a bit, a bit of a set two on oh, it, well, let's say. Well, I, I, you know, I may have gently pulled him about it uh, just prior to one of his matches there in the Championship League last week. Um, don't think I interfered with his pre-match prep. But uh, to be honest, I was so upset with his comments. I'm only joking. Um, you know, no. in all seriousness, yeah, big Man United fan. David said that I'd never even been to Manchester, okay. which was weird given I lived there for a long time. Well, let's, let's just qualify this ever so slightly, okay? You're a big Manchester United fan. Have you ever personally purchased a ticket for yourself to go and watch Manchester United? Oh, well, I used to have, between Brandon Parker and I, we used to share four season tickets in the Stretford end with all the maniacs. Okay, so you used to, to borrow a season ticket from Brandon. Okay, that's brilliant. And have you uh, ever sat in a box and eaten prawn sandwiches at Old Trafford? Never. Um, except maybe the odd time where I was invited to go by Man United and host a room. But they don't they don't count, surely. So uh, what we're saying, uh, David Grace, amazing David Grace, you are absolutely right. He's as plastic as they come, David, I'm afraid. Not having it. Absolutely Not having plastic. It. Not having it. Um, well, I'll tell you which tickets I did buy. Uh, the two times the most recent, a few years ago, when we went to the Champions League final. Um, I don't know if you, as a Leeds supporter, have purchased many of those recently. I'm not sure. Oh, right. So you just go to the big games. Oh, yeah. No, I only go to the big games. I'm not going to when it's really cold on a Tuesday night. Forget that. You re seriously, don't go too near a fire because you will melt. You are so <laughs> plastic, Mr. Murphy. You really are. Gracie, you're completely vindicated in what you said on the Talking Snooker podcast. He's a plastic Manchester United fan. Not started well. It hasn't. Now, just to explain, <laughs> moving forward, these podcasts, we will be doing remotely because, um, let's face it, Sean is travelling the world playing snooker. He could be absolutely anywhere. But for now, we're in pre-season. So we've actually managed to get together. We are face-to-face. -to -face. 
sat in a hotel room somewhere just outside of London, where I'm not exactly sure where. And and we're actually looking at each other as we do this. Now, future podcasts, we will be away from each other, separate, unable to see each other. So it's actually quite lovely to see you for a change, Sean. Listen, if I could say the same, I would. Well, this coming season, I will be the MC for the Home Nations events, um, but from the quarterfinal <laughs> stage onward. So unfortunately, we probably won't see, see you again either. see you in 12 months then. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is a snooker podcast that's not a snooker podcast, but let's talk a little bit of snooker, if we could. Now, obviously, the season has literally just started with Championship League. You were commentating on that last week, but let's just wind the clock back ever so slightly to, to Q School and the new tour card qualifiers. Now, there's a few well-known names on there, it's fair to be fair to say. One of them, in sports, okay, there's quite a rare thing, Maradona, Pele, okay? The one-name people in music, Madonna, okay? People like this. Now, Snooker's only got two of those for me. Snooker has got Ronnie, which everyone immediately knows who you mean, and the other one is, Sean's looking completely blank at me. Jimmy. It is, of course, Fergal. Ah. There's only one Fergal, isn't there? There is only one Fergal, yeah. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm really chuffed, actually. Fergal O'Brien got his tour card back first time of asking. He's a lovely, lovely guy. I mean, he's, he's one of the nicest men on the tour. And he, he'd fallen off the tour. He went to Q School 1. He said he might not do. And I think if he hadn't got through Q School one, he's, he's since said that he probably wouldn't have done two or three. It's great to see him back on, isn't it? Yeah, brilliant. And, you know, uh, since moving to Ireland many, many years ago, Fergal, you know, became a bit like a big brother to me. We, we became very, very close. We practiced next to each other for many years in the Selbridge Snooker Club. And, um, you know, he really, really helped me with my game. And I was absolutely thrilled to see him go to Q School and get through because, as we've seen with some of the other names who, you know, just dropped off the tour this year, who perhaps were, you know, expected to turn things around straight away uh, and get back on tour. See, it's not quite that easy. And, um, you know, I, I was thrilled for Fergal. I think Fergal has that, he certainly has that character about him. You know, he he's prepared to, to get down and dirty on the table, you know, and, and stand out there all day if needs be. Um, we're not going to talk about the match against David Gilbert in Judgment Day, where they have the longest frame ever recorded. We're not going to talk about that. Um, but Fergal, you know, will try his absolute socks off uh, and has the absolute perfect game, I think, for something like Q School. Um, and I think with his newfound sort of lease of life that he's talked about going into the next two years of tour card, um, you know, safety, um, he intends to play a, a reduced schedule only really play the events that he wants to prepare properly for. And do you know what? I think without the pressure of rankings now to worry about, you might see a, a slightly more chilled out version of Fergal. And if he can bring some more of his practice performance to the tournaments, he could do damage. Now, I was going to mention practice because I was listening to Fergal on, I think it was on Talking Snooker with Phil Hague and Nick Metcalf. And... Fergal was, was very, very vocal about a few words he had with you um, talking about practice. Now, was he as blunt in real life as he said on the podcast? Because he, he was very, very direct, let's say. I was there practicing. I'd been, you know, struggling with my game for, a, you know, a period of time. And uh, obviously, as I said before, you know, Fergal and I had started to get to know each other, you know, fairly well. But you'd have to know somebody really well before you, you know, ask them for help 
with you know the love of your life you know for me for snooker you know and was really really struggling with it and when I sat down with Fergal and said you know I really respect you as a pro and as a friend and you know what what advice would you have for me for my snooker and my practice he completely blitzed me and if anything you know his account of the story on talking snooker it uh, was probably diluted you know there was probably some bad language in there and um but everything he said was true. You know, I was I'd become a bit of a, a part time practicer. Um, was was too lax a days with the, with with my phone and checking emails too much and quite diluted in my interests. Snooker, you know, had become too much of a bit part in my life rather than the main priority. And he was absolutely right with everything he said. And um, you know, I, I have publicly thanked him enough for another opportunity because I went on a bit of a good run then for a, you know a number of months. Uh, and it was all down to the chat I had with Fergal. Oh, there you go then. So he's worth his weight in gold, but it's great to see Fergal uh, get his toe card straight back. It really is. Um, just to look at a couple of the other qualifiers, um, a player I know that you know is is Ireland's Aaron Hill. He's he's only a young lad. He's got all the talent, all the ability. I think his first game when he got his toe card, he beat Ronnie O'Sullivan. Um, I was at that tournament. That was at Milton Keynes when we were locked down. And since that game, he's he's just sort of dropped off. And... He's he's got a lot to show yet, hasn't he? Yeah, I think um, I think you know when you have your career and it starts off with such a monumental performance, like beating O'Sullivan in a big tournament as the underdog. Where do you go from there? And everyone then that builds up expectation in y- y- your own expectation. People start writing about you. You start reading your own press. This, that, and the other. And of course, that that mountain becomes harder to scale again and again and again. And unfortunately for Aaron, you know, he found himself like many do. Uh, dropping off once his card privileges have had expired, and you know, fair play to him for for again another one going to Q school, getting in the trenches, so to speak, fighting for his card. I can tell you what I can say, having practiced with him a few times in Ireland, uh, I did a show with him just shortly before Q school in Cork, in his home city. Um, there's a few things in snooker you can't teach. You can be taught pretty much anything, but those unteachable factors, he's got them. And, you know, I think he's a very exciting prospect. We talk about, we've talked about for a long time, the the, the, the influence from the Far East. You know, the Chinese are churning out young talent, left, right and centre. And it's been worried about that Europe, specifically UK and Ireland, has have been dragging behind in the last few seasons. Well, in Aaron Hill, um, I think we've got a very exciting prospect. We certainly have. He's, he's got the the right character as well. I think he's got the um, all the traits that you need. So hopefully we'll see him, him progress this time around. Um, another player from Q School that I've just made a note of is Lucas Kleckers. Um, personally, for me, it's great that snooker as a sport grows, and I think your old very dear friend Brandon Parker had a lot to do with driving snooker into Germany. He uh, put an awful lot of work into it, from everything I've been told. Um, and I think having players like Lucas on the tour really helps with that because it really sort of spreads the gospel across Europe, doesn't it? Yeah, you can take snooker, you know, as far as you want around the world. We put many, many shows on. In fact, in fact, Matthew Stevens and Paul Hunter with Brandon and, and Ian McCulloch actually started the trend of doing shows in, in Germany, you know, in the sort of late 90s, early 2000s. They were the forebearers, really. Um, and then myself and Ryan Day and Graham Dart and a few others, Davis, before he retired, Higgins... You know, we followed them in on private exhibitions, doing the miles around Germany, 
trains, planes, and automobiles. You know, it was a it was a great few years, uh, and we ended up in this situation with the German masters. Um, but it took a long time to get there. But it doesn't really grow properly until you have you know a national hero for these new snooker fans, these new sports fans to get behind. Uh, and there was a couple of false dawns in Germany. Um, you know, we had a couple of players, the best of them all. Um, probably of the last 20 years, in my opinion, was Lasse Munsterman, uh, a name, you know, maybe not familiar to, to our listeners, um, but somebody who could seriously play. But he's always the challenge of, of players when the main tour is so primarily based in the UK. Um, it's not as easy for players who have to constantly travel and Lasse, you know, fell, fell foul to that um, and didn't and didn't, you know, didn't make it in the end. But in someone like Lucas, you know, it's great to see them coming again. And, um, you know, who's to say that in the, another few years we're not going to see an even bigger explosion in Europe? Absolutely. Well, talking, sticking on Europe then, uh, Ben Mertens won the, the EBSA European Under-21s, which gets him a tour card. Ben Mertens, 17 years old, um, a real talent, and a real talent. And another Belgian player. We've got Julian Leclerc now. We've got Luca Brissell, of course. That's three Belgian players on tour. Yeah, and, and I was alerted to young Ben Mertens many years ago through uh, Chris Henry. Obviously, Chris out there was an Englishman in Belgium uh, for many, many years. Um, you know, great friend, coach, uh, and sort of all-round snooker, good good bloke. Uh, he told me about um, Luca Brussel about 15 years ago. You know, showed me a video of, watch this kid. He can play right-handed, left-handed, one-handed. He's unbelievable. And the same with Ben. Uh, he, he brought him to my attention quite a long time ago and said, this kid's going to be special. You know, he's got, he's got it. And uh, great to see him come through. Do you know what, three or four years ago, uh, Ben Merton's playing in the shootout. He got through the first round. Lovely, lovely lad. Great family with him as well. They'd all come across to support him. Really, really nice people. He got through the first round. The second round's played on the Saturday. A few of us had gone out to do park run in Watford, the, the free 5K run in the local park. That was right next to Watford Coliseum. So I'm down there with one of the guys from Bet Victor, uh, Roddy from World Snooker Tour. We'd done park run, we're all sweaty, we're, we're on our way back. Coming past the Coliseum, and there's Ben Mertens there, 13, 14 years old, with his cue case and his parents. And uh, I said, Ben, are you all right? And he, he looks at me and said, can we get in? I want to practice. <laughs> it's like half past nine in the morning. I think we started at one o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> and he just wanted to be in there, and he just wanted to be playing snooker. And even when he got knocked out, he stayed the whole weekend with all his family, he was still playing snooker on the tables and just he just wanted to be there. He's a real snooker person, really. And I think he'll go really well. I think he'll surprise a few people this season. We're talking about the gifts that, you know, you can't teach and that hunger, that passion, that desire to be first there, get on the practice table, put the... that You can't teach that. Abs Without that, you go nowhere. Yeah, absolutely. Now, the, the final player I've picked out who got a tour card, I had to pick out Sean. Because he's an old friend of yours. Don't like the way this is going. I don't know who this is. Well, I don't know like the way this he is He won going. the WSF Open, which means he gets a tour card, which means, Sean, he is no longer an amateur. Oh, right. I see where this is going. He is CJ Hui, <laughs> of course, Sean. The man who beat you, I think, in the UK Championships. Um, yeah, I think I think a bit might have been made of that. Yeah, seem to remember it, it was a story at the time. Yeah, you. I think you said something. I, I think you were. I think you were upset about losing the game, Sean. I, I don't remember saying anything controversial at that time. To be honest, I, I think the press blew it all out of proportion. But you're very pleased for him to be back on tour. <laughs> 
Oh, you know what? What a mad time that was. Um, let's just rewind the clock back to that cold, windy night in York, um, having come off the table, having lost to CGI. Um, you know, I was really struggling at the time, really struggling with my game, um, you know, with my health. I was in pain. And I definitely, a million percent, should not have said what I said at the time. It was the wrong move. I wasn't baited by the press. I wasn't cajoled into saying something. It was all me. Uh, and you know what? It took me a few months, and it took a bit of soul-searching uh, and you know, re-educating myself on how the tour works. Turns out I was completely wrong. And uh, amateurs have always been able to play on the tour. They've always been welcome, uh, and rightly so. I was completely wrong to say what I said. I should never have said it. You know, it's, it's quite funny, actually. I think about this the other week. Championship League started last week. And in the first group of the Championship League, there's Michael Holt. Michael Holt, of course, this is a ranking event, Championship League. He lost his tour card at the end of last season. So really sorry to see Holtie lose that because he's a, a great guy. And I'm sure he will get back on soon enough. But straight away, first ranking event, there's Holtie on the first group. So straight away, it's proven what you've just said to be absolutely right. Yeah, I mean, I think people out there perhaps don't know, uh, like I didn't know, you know, pre-Christmas last year. I didn't know either. But, you know, there's hardly ever a professional tournament that goes past with a complete full entry of pros. All eligible pros don't enter all professional tournaments for lots of different reasons, you know, and a lot recently have been travel-based, visa-based. You know, there's been lots of well-documented problems with stuff like that. So pretty much every tournament since I turned pro, has had a number of amateur top-ups. Uh, and you know what? Just maybe me being ignorant, I just didn't know. Uh, you know, I've sat on the board. I ran the Players' Commission for a while, and I didn't know that. Um, so, yeah, I was wrong. But they say any publicity is good publicity. And let's be honest, <laughs> that got some serious column inches for snooker, didn't it? Oh, well, it was funny because, um, you know, at the time I'd also, you know, agreed to step onto the BBC team, you know, to work for them commentating and doing some studio work. And, and they were very keen uh, just to make sure there's a few do's and don'ts about broadcasting. You know, pe- they're not, you know, people aren't interested in my political persuasions. We're there to talk about snooker, you know, keep it clean and, and all the rest of it. And I spoke to the main the main editor uh, as the story broke because it was going because it went mad like you know like my phone didn't stop for days and days. I said, "Is this the uh, is this the kind of thing you told me to steer away from?" And she said, "No, it's been unbelievable. Like we've never we've never seen snooker have this coverage ever." And I was like, "Oh my god, this guy this can't be good." <laughs> but uh, yeah, I got shouted at in the street quite a lot. Um, over, over that, you know, few days and weeks. Um, but, yeah, it was a time that, I, you know, I consider uh, a learning curve. Well, it's fair to say that was one of your more famous rants. And in a moment's time, we're going to get another rant from the magician, Sean Murphy. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You're listening to the 147 Podcast with Sean Murphy and Phil Seymour. If you like what you're listening to, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to interact with us across all forms of social media at 147pod. That's the words, at 147pod. Now, in what is going to become a regular feature, at your request, by the way, Mr. Murphy, we are going to have Sean's rants. Now, Sean, you told me you wanted to be able to rant on a podcast. However, I am restricting you. This is the 147 podcast, so I'm restricting you to 147 seconds. Okay? You may rant, but you only have 147 seconds. I have the timer ready. Are you ready, Mr. Murphy? Uh, Can I just preempt this by saying the only reason I want to do this is because it's cheaper than therapy. Until you get my bill. <laughs> that is, you have, you, you will be ended by a klaxon. Yes, Sean, we have a klaxon. You have 147 seconds, Sean, to rant about whatever you would like to rant about, starting from now. Right, well, it's a good, good one to start with. I'm going deep, but it's something everyone can, you know, pretty much get on board with, uh, apart from those strange people out there who are old enough to, but don't. We're going to talk about driving in the UK and Ireland. What is wrong with people? What is it? Do they think indicators are just there as a suggestion? Are the lanes on motorways, are they just merely there? You know, we've got too much paint, lads. We painted these lines on the motorway. They're just there as a, as a, as a you know, just a guideline. Just, you know, what is wrong with people? The standard of driving over the last few years has just gone through the floor. People following too close. People speeding. People going, I've just driven off the motorway here, coming here, nearly been destroyed three times at lights. Had a maniac come up behind me, nearly right my car off. It's just, like, gone completely completely mental i don't know what's wrong with people stay in your lane it's not my fault you can't drive leave me alone i don't want to know about it just unbelievable can't get it can't bear it in mind how hard it is to get a driver's license i failed my test twice it's like the hardest thing in the world you can get into fort knox easier than getting a driver's license in this country and then they let absolute maniacs behind the wheels of these death destroyers it's just completely weird i don't get it what is wrong with people have a day off how much time have I got left? You've still got a minute to go. Oh, my goodness. Well, this is ridiculous. What about amateurs? <laughs> what about amateur car drivers? No, we're not going there. No, but seriously, like, what is wrong with the driving in, in, in this country? And I tell you, in the Republic of Ireland, it's even worse. There's not a car in Ireland without a dent on it. It's ridiculous. Just think those parking spaces are there as maybe if you want to. You know, the road signs don't know where people are going over there. It's crazy. They look at you as if to say, well, I'm sorry, it was like, a, did you not know I was going to turn left? But no, I didn't know. What are you doing? Do you know what give way means? The road signs in Ireland don't even say give way. They say yield. They're a bit stronger on the road signs in Ireland. Yield. That took me some time to get used to. But I tell you, it's as if they just, 
you know, randomly decide to give licenses to people who've never been for an exam or a lesson in their life. I, I know out there now in Snookerland, people are nodding with agreement as I'm ranting about this. Driving has become one of the hardest things in the world. There is the klaxon. The klaxon's quite nice, actually. I quite like that klaxon. Like I'm going to do it again. Oh, can I have that on my car? You, I need it. <laughs> no, you can't have that on your car. Right, okay. But I've got to pick you up on a couple of things. How many times did it take you to pass your test? It took me three times to pass my test. Three times? Yeah. You absolute noddy, really. Well. Yeah, three times. Okay. First time, right? I can remember it vividly. Because I'm not that old. I'm turning 40 this year, which, you know, is a sore subject. Uh, but um, 17 years of age, got my provisional, went off. I could drive. Was You know, I'd witnessed my dad and friends driving for many, many years. Uh, you know, I had a sneaky go possibly illegally a few times. That's another story for the book. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, was quite good at driving and was about half a mile away from the test centre on my first test, having absolutely nailed it. And I approached this roundabout a bit fast. This guy came around properly tearing it up. It was He, he was in the wrong place. Apparently he had to nudge the brake a little bit to miss me, although he was in the, you know, he was at completely at fault. The, the the examiner deemed me to be out of order and he failed me you know for that for that uh, mistake the second ex- i was just far too nervous i remember getting to the test center and my uh, driving instructor saw the lady's name on the form who was going to be examining me that day and he said we may as well go she doesn't pass anyone she only passes like four a week or something this woman you've got no chance so i drove like a maniac and then on the third and final uh, exam, which I passed, it was just as if I was so lucky. Like the, the the road I went to on the, you know, before the test, you go on like an hour's warm-up lesson. I don't know if people still do this, but this is what we did. And it just so happened that the road we went to to do the reverse around a corner, which no one ever does, uh, and the three-point turn practice was the same road and corner that the, that the man took me to on my exams. Unbelievable. Well, on that exact subject, I was really lucky. I passed first time because I'm a, a good driver, obviously. Obviously, yeah. Now, growing up, my parents had two trees in their front garden. And for years and years and years, I had watched the driving testers, because the test centre was about a quarter of a mile away from their house, bringing people down and doing the emergency stop between these two trees. Okay? All my life, literally from being a little kid, car comes along, Bang, stops, right, but not bang, obviously, that would yeah. be terrible. <laughs> St- stops right That'll in stop between you. the two trees. So I'm on my driving test, and we're going down my mum and dad's road on the mean streets of Apple Tree Village in York. And the driving instructor said, I'm going to bang my clipboard on the dashboard. When I do, I'd like you to bring the vehicle to a, a safe emergency stop. And I'm looking, thinking, this is brilliant. I know where she's going to do it. So it's like next door but two, next door but one, next door, clipboard on the dashboard, bang, I stop right between the two trees. Perfect. And I must have looked the smuggest man in York at that exact moment. But I passed my test. Now, I've got to ask you, Sean, all this ranting about people in cars. Did your driver tell you about the, the poor standards on the roads? Or Yeah, I obviously should have I should have precursed that by saying that the only reason I'm in such a bad mood is I had to give the show for the day off. Um, no, 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 I mean, in all seriousness, like, what is wrong in this? It's just, I don't know what it's like in other countries, but... I. Certainly here, and certainly, you know, the UK and Ireland, 
it's just it's just a farce. I've got to say, the other day I was driving uh, driving on the M1, and there's a car in front of me weaving around, like literally going from lane to lane all over the place. And when I looked closely, there was a woman who was putting a makeup on in the rearview mirror <laughs> whilst driving the car, okay? And I was that shocked, I almost dropped my shaver into my coffee. <laughs> anyway, that was Sean's rant. If you've got any views on driving standards in the UK, hit us up on social media at 147pod and let us know what you think. Right, let's get into some listeners' questions. We asked people for questions, listeners' questions, before we had any listeners, because this is, of course, the first podcast. But what happens if there aren't any listeners well, listening to this? I would hope those that have asked questions might listen. Okay. And there's always my mum. Yeah, okay. So that's good. Right. I'd my- say my mum too, but I can't guarantee my mum will listen. <laughs> I don't think She's my mum She's only been would. to watch me play two matches in 25 years, so I think my can't guarantee it. Um, first of all, Martin Yap on Twitter. This is a big one, this. There's so many of them nowadays... So is a 147 break all it's really cracked up to be? Good question, that. Good question. And something that the uh, former darts player and now darts pundit Wayne Mardle and I debate all the time. Now, he and I started the little Twitter debate. comes on every Christmas when the world darts is on. I just sort of tee him up for it and he bats it out of the park. Um, Which is harder, the 147 or the 9 data? But that leads on to the next part, which links into this question. Because there are so more of many more of them, both of them, these days than ever before, you know, are they as special as they were? I think the simple answer is yes. Like, you know, certainly in terms of the 147, 36 pretty much perfect shots every time to get the magical 147 break. Um, I think what it shows, if it shows anything, is just how good everyone is. Um, back in the 80s, there would have only been a handful of players who were capable of controlling that cue ball and making sure they could get back for black ball position every single time. Uh, and obviously, you know, that, that, has gone, that has gone now, you know, upward at a, an incremental rate. Um, I vividly remember Jimmy White's, uh, the World Championships in 1992. That was the year I first went to the Crucible. It wasn't for that match, uh, but uh, that was the year I sort of became attached to it as a the thing I watched most in the house. I remember that happening. Um, and then I remember Stephen Hendry's 147 in the deciding frame of the Liverpool Victoria Classic against Ronnie. Uh, maybe, and I'm not sure when that was. It was in the 90s for sure. Um, but I, I do think... Uh, they're as difficult as ever. Um, anyone who's been to any of my exhibitions knows they're pretty hard because <laughs> I don't make many. You say they won't have seen one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, um, uh, you know, I always I always have the lap because like Mark Allen, uh, you know, a good friend of mine, he'll be do- he does quite a few snooker exhibitions between events. And it feels like he's always making 147s. Um, and for me, they, they come, you know, quite rarely. From my side, what I will say is I, I spend a lot of time when I'm at an event in the media centre and there's journalists in there, there's the, the media guys from World Snooker Tour and when someone is on for a 147, everyone knows, okay? And if it gets if it starts to get close, you start to see people filter out of the media centre and into the arena because they want to be there. Now, there is an ITV producer called Lewis Hurt. Lewis is a great guy, does... Um, all the ITV events, and they always have two producers, so they always share it. Now, a 147 is something Lewis has always, always wanted to, to do, to work on. And he was at the British Open last year, the, the rebirth of the British Open, 
And of course, John Higgins got the 147. First up, Lewis was meant to be on that session and had switched sessions. So I think he was working the evening. That happened in the afternoon. And he was absolutely spitting. He's done massive, massive events. So what I would say is, I, for me, yes, it is just as special now because it's, yes, it's more of them, but it's no easier than it's ever been. I mean, even in, even in the clubs, you know, on the snooker club circuit, as I say, when we do our private shows, um, or even if, you know, um, Matt Selt and I are, you know, in my club or his club having a practice match just for the day, or Fergal and I, you know, are practicing for the day and one of us is on a 147, people stop. You know, it's a special moment. It's 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 as special as it gets in snooker. You know, it'd be like watching somebody not get a hole in one, but it'd be like watching someone get break 60 in golf. You know, it's special. It doesn't happen very often. And the chances for it to occur, you know, seem to come around so few these days. Um, I think that's what makes it happen. It's so special in snooker. Yes, we do see perhaps more now than we did, used, you know, years and years ago. But uh, that's like comparing apples and oranges, you know, with all due respect to the players from yesteryear you know you know the players on tour these days are by far and away of a higher ability uh, and that's why we're, we're seeing more 147s absolutely okay barry wilson on facebook barry asks have you ever been annoyed by a member of the crowd or a referee right i'll go first on this one a member of the crowd yes Every time a bloody mobile phone goes off, okay? When I have asked time and time again to turn them off or put them on silent, and still one... It's actually, it's, it's more rare now, I think, than it used to be, but... Oh, it riles me. It, it's amazing because, I, you know, as I said earlier on, I, I have stepped into that more sort of, you know, not more, but, you know, obviously commentating and, and, and working in the studios now, and... Um, you just obviously when you're not under the stress of playing, you know, because as a player you you're out in the arena, you're in a real bubble, and and a lot of the disturbances that go on in a live, you know, audience attended event, you don't see them. You're really not aware of them, and it is you know the 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 ringing of a mobile or something you know akin to that it knocks you out of your your concentration so easily. It's all right for people to say ah. You know, should you not have? You know, should you not be able to? If you're concentrating, you wouldn't hear it. You know, it's just not true. If I, if I say to you, don't think about a white horse. <laughs> you, you know, you are thinking of a white horse. So it, it's very hard. We always say as snooker players, you know, in the clubs doing exhibitions, the shootout is a great example. If all the crowd were making noise, and phones going off, and everyone's being leery and cheering away and getting involved, it's absolutely fine. That's not off-putting at all. But it's when it's deathly silent, when that crucible falls down to just under a thousand people going silent for that really special moment, and then we get the Nokia thirty three ten burst. Um, it is really off putting. I had a very funny moment years ago, not phone related, but you know, it wasn't. I didn't fall out with a member of the audience, but it was. It was just. It was funny. Um, it was back. It was you know must be the bones of twenty years or more so, because I won. It was called the Benson and Hedges Championship. And I always refer to the World Championship in 05 as my first pro win. It's actually wrong. The Benson and Hedges Championship around the turn of the millennia um, was my first pro win. That was an event put on for everyone outside the top 16. Um, everyone could play in it. And the winner got a wild card to the Masters. 
and numbers 16 and 15 in the rankings at the Masters had to play. There was two wild cards given. Usually one was given to Jimmy if he wasn't in it, and the other was given to the winner of this event, as I say. And in the semis, um, I can't I can't remember off the top of my head uh, who I was playing. I think I think it was Mark Davis, um, and I just remember I played really well that day, and I think I beat Mark six one or six two in the semis. Um, but there was two old fellas on the front row, and we was only in a club, so it was very tight knit anyway. A bit of banked tiered seating. And there was these two old fellas, and one of them was absolutely deaf as a post. And the other one couldn't whisper to save his life. And at 4-1 or 5-1, I raked in another long red, got perfectly on the black, was set to make a match-winning break. And this fella nudged his mate, and he went, this isn't fair, he's much better than the other fella. (laughs) And it was just so awkward, you know, because Mark's like a great player, you know, really, really good player. And I knew that, and I knew that if he'd heard what I heard, that might have spurred him on a bit. This fellow, oh, no, you just can't say that, you know, you just can't say that. So that was pretty embarrassing. I can imagine it was. Now, next question is actually from a referee. Um, Proletina Velichkova, lovely, lovely lady, great referee. On Twitter, she has asked, what is the best or worst career advice we've ever been given? Mm. Now I will. I'll go first on this then. Okay. I was I was told years ago to go self-employed to to work for myself, which for me has been brilliant. I, I worked in the the automotive industry as a job for for many years. Got the opportunity to go self-employed, took it, and I've got to say it's it is great to work for yourself and know that what you did not so great during COVID. No. Not so great during COVID no. when you've you've no work or money coming in. Other than that. So, yeah, it sort of is the best and worst career advice I've ever had, really. (laughs) Yeah. Because it worked out very well, but for a year and a half or so, it was pretty dodgy as well. So that was, yeah, probably the best and worst. I'm not sure about career advice, you know, because I've chased chased this snooker dream from being an eight-year-old boy. Um, I I remember, and certainly I'm not sure what the system is around the world, but certainly in the UK, you know, when you're you're maybe 11 or 12, maybe 13, a career advisor comes in to see you you know as you're getting towards doing your sats or whatever they're called now I left school at the end of year nine when I was 13 so I know it was definitely pre that um I know the career advisor came in and we you know you all file in one by one for your 10 minutes with her and she sat me down and right okay um name yeah ticks you off okay uh what do you want to be and my answer was typically well I'm going to be a snooker player she went, yeah, no, okay, um, oh, you're that, that right, because the PE teacher whose office she'd commandeered for the afternoon had pre-warned her what I was like. <laughs> be careful of Murphy, he's a handful. So she said, what, what is it you want to do? Oh, I'm going to be a snooker player. And she was just like, no, um, you know, you're not. Um, what, you know, what, what's your plan B? I said, I don't have a plan B. She was like, right, um, uh, Mr. Perkins, could you get in here, please? We've got trouble with this lad. <laughs> Just, I ended up being asked to leave, you know, <laughs> wasting her time. So, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily, uh, you know, career advice. I think the, one of the best pieces of advice I ever got was from a coach um, at the old Rushton and Diamonds Football Club, which was my hometown football club when I, I grew up in a town called Earthlingborough in Northamptonshire. And they were owned by the man who owned Doc Martins, who was a close friend of mine. They sponsored me from being 12 years of age. And Max arranged for it, you know, at the time I was trying to, you know, even then, you know, getting 
getting fitter and used to go and train with the football team on a Thursday night. It was great. It was great, like, you know, for a kid. Um, and I remember one of the coaches there saying to me, said, never forget people on the way up because you never know when you meet them on the way back down. And I always that always stuck with me. Yeah, absolutely. And great advice as well, I'm sure. Um, Snooker hair on Twitter. This is a quick one. Have either of us ever been to Finland? No. Me neither. Iceland a few times and many other supermarkets, but <laughs> never Finland. So no, I would like to though. I'd love to go. Absolutely. Yep. would go in a heartbeat. Absolutely. Right. John Thornton on Facebook. Do you have any superstitions? Hmm. Superstitions. Um, I wouldn't say so. No, not really. I. Do you know what I am? I'm really, really fastidious about, you know, pre-match prep in terms of your outfit. So, you know, I pride myself on my shirts being the best ironed on the tour. Waistcoats always smart, you know, pressed. It's very rarely creased. Trousers are pressed. Um, and that's, you know, shoes are always shiny or clean. These are real basics. But, you know, for me, it puts me in the right mindset. You know, I generally get to a hotel and check in and do it all there and then and then have another go pre-match, you know, just give them an, a second press. I've also been known to take my own steam iron with me everywhere I go, <laughs> which is a nightmare in China because you've only got a certain amount of luggage space. But yes, yeah, so I wouldn't have superstitions. But yeah, I'd, I'd be funny about I'd be funny about that now. Yeah, you've got to look right, haven't you? I, I don't have no superstitions as such. I just prepare methodically for everything. So I'm always the first in the media center. I make all my notes. I write them all down. I don't then use the cards, but I write everything down. It locks it in my head and. I just think preparation, 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 and, and you've the best chance of it not all going wrong, I think is probably the key thing for me. Okay, next up, Dan Harris on Twitter. Q Sports ceases to exist tomorrow. What do you do for a living, Sean? Yeah, I mean it's terrifying. It's it's the it's the worst, it's it's the worst possible um thought for me that um it's all I know. It's all I've ever known. You know, from being that young boy. Uh, you know, I wrote off. I wrote off with the help of my parents. Put my letter to Santa in the post box, asking for a, a Commodore sixty four computer as an eight year old child, um, I, I, and ended up with a snooker table. You know, something went wrong. I think the elves, you know, must have been <laughs> off that day or something. But yeah, you know, ever since I got that snooker table, snooker was all all it ever was for me. You know, you know, I left school um, very young at thirteen. Uh, I did all my GCSEs at thirteen. Um, and, uh, you know, sort of stepped out of the education system. Always, always had a bit of a secret longing for that, you, you know, university life, perhaps, you know, not just for the social side, but, you know, going away somewhere different, spending time away from home, uh, where you sort of break out of the release of your parents a little bit and you become your own person. You know, it took me a long time to do that because, um, obviously, for the first you know, many years of my life, everywhere I went, I went with a parent, you know, to a snooker event or whatever it might be. So I didn't I didn't get that opportunity to, to sort of break the, what do they call the kitchen string or whatever they call something like that, and I didn't get to do that. Um, but, yeah, I, I, you know, I've got absolutely no idea. Maybe, you know, maybe I, I picked up playing golf quite late. Uh, maybe I might have been able to do that. Or, or shortly before the World Championship in 05, I went and got a job selling cars. So maybe I could have become like a, a good car salesman. I don't know. I was going to say, the short answer to that, Sean, is golf, basically, isn't it? 
<laughs> it's yeah. golf. Everyone knows it's golf. You would go and play golf. It's quite obvious. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, Brian Coleman on Facebook. I like this one. Should potting a double be worth double points? Never considered it in my life. I think it's one of the best suggestions I've ever seen uh, for snooker. If we were looking to tweak a rule here or there, you know, a double gets you double points. Does a treble get you treble points in that? You oh, know, how we're, far we're into the realms of flukes now. Are we though, talking about we? big break now? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, double pockets and all sorts. You're into the realms of flukes, but a double is a double, isn't it? And Are you call it a treble is a fluke? Is that what you're saying? Are you all right? <sighs> How far do you go? That's the problem. Well, trebles can be played. Trebles can be played, but yeah. when you start to go quadruple to quadruple, yeah. you know what I mean? You look in, you think, well, it's just lots it's of... It's a can of worms, isn't in. it? You owned it. <laughs> well, I didn't, but Brian did. So should it, yes or no? I'm going to say yes, I like that. I'll agree with you as like well. like it a lot. Okay, next up, Niall Greenfield on Facebook. Um, for Sean, first of all, barring triple crown events, what's your favourite event to play in? Um, I've only played in it, I think, maybe once, possibly twice. I think maybe, you know, it is the Tour Champs. I think, you know, I've not done well enough the last few years to get in it. Um, But I think that whole idea of the reducing field throughout the year, you know, everyone's based on their performance right then, current, up-to-date, the top eight in the world. Um, I really like the Tour Champs, the the one or two times I've played in it. (laughs) Well, I've I've announced it a few times, but sadly not this season. Bad when you've been to more tournaments than me, (laughs) And he's also, Niall's also asked me, barring the Crucible, what's my favourite venue? Now, first of all, just on the Crucible, the first time I filled in for Rob at the Crucible, I walked down those stairs, for Rob Walker, by the way, the, the MC for, for the BBC events, um, I walked down the steps and the hairs on the back of my neck sprung up. So I dread to think what that's like as a player because it's, it's just an incredible venue that I've watched my entire life on TV. So to walk down those stairs into the arena was just, oh, it was amazing. Favourite venue, I'm going to be really greedy here because I work across many different sports, okay? Uh, boxing, I've emceed boxing at Wembley Arena, so that's that's kind of got to be my favourite venue for that. We did the World of Sport Wrestling for ITV. We did the tour. We went to the Tower Ballroom at Blackpool. Full to the brim of wrestling fans. The atmosphere in there was absolutely incredible. Um, rugby League, I've been the stadium rounds for Wakefield Trinity for 14 years. Bellevue, their home ground, is a very, very, very special place for me, a very special place in rugby league. Um, for snooker, my favourite venue, I've, I did like the Guild Hall in Preston, if I'm honest. I did like that. However, and this feeds into the next question, which is from Philip Bezjak on Instagram, who's asked what the best entrance or atmosphere either of us have been involved in is, my favourite venue has got to be the Waterfront Hall in Belfast. Firstly, it's an incredible venue. It's right in the city, right on the waterfront, as the name suggests. It's a theatre, and last year, Northern Ireland Open, Mark Allen in the final. The place sold out. As soon as Mark reached the final, the place sold out. When I was announcing Mark out, I couldn't hear what I was saying. Thank God. (laughs) And I'm looking at Mark, and he's looking at me, and I thought, why is he looking at me so much? And he said afterwards that he was looking at me because he thought, as soon as Phil stops, I'm going to walk. So it's a good job I didn't put any pauses in. But the atmosphere in there that night was just absolutely phenomenal. So same question to you then, Sean. Best best atmosphere you played in? I've been very lucky to play in some, you know, unbelievable atmospheres, you know, especially, and of course, you know, if you're playing one of the, you know, one of the other marquee players or one of the greats, you know, the class of 92 spring to mind, if you're playing one of them, you know, any match against those guys, 
anywhere in the world is special and the atmosphere is really, really good. I must say, walking out the World Championships for the final, um, obviously not this year, the year before against Mark, um, and certainly I think that for the last session, for the final, for the final session of four, uh, was very, very special. Um, snooker, you know, well publicised, led the way out of COVID in terms of you know live audiences and stuff, and we were the first event to have live audiences back. Uh, we were certainly the first sport to have a full live audience, and that was the match where it happened. And so, you know, there was that there was that buzz in the audience that did filter through to us backstage. But the probably, I mean, equal best and probably a fu- you know funny story was the old German Masters in the Tempodrome, and as I say. Uh, my former manager Brandon Parker, who you know was was you know led that tournament really, um, stood backstage with me. You know, up we were being introduced through the crowd for the semi-finals down to the one table in the Tempodrome, two and a half thousand screaming Germans. You know, it was proper bouncing in there, but it was an arena I'd worked doing the exhibition circuit, and I'm playing Stephen Maguire, who had never played there before, so he he'd gone down first. And we were waiting for the crowd to die down. Rolf Carb was MC in there. He's, you know, he's, he's doing it in both languages. He, you know, he, he's brilliant at his job. And backstage, Brandon said to me, he said, now, he said, you know this crowd really well. They're right bang behind you. Uh, you're going to have the majority of the sport out there. He said, when you walk out there, give it the absolute nuts. Proper go for it. Get the crowd on your side from the minute you walk in. He said, really milk the walk on. So we've we've let Rolf get the crowd going, get the crowd going. He's finally announced that the doors have come out, the lights there. Brandon's going, wait, wait for it, wait, go. And we went out, the crowd went wild. Obviously, it's you know, all civilised snooker fans agree that I have the best walk-on music <laughs> with Disco Inferno. It's in a given. So the crowd's gone wild. I'm there saluting the crowd, doing little spins, very nearly broke out into a moonwalk. Managed to get down the step, got, you know, was guided by the security down the main steps into the arena, gave them a twirl, shook the hand of MC Ralph Garb, shook the referee's hand. Finally, Stephen and I shook hands. He broke off. He left me a long red. I missed it by an absolute mile. He beat me 6 0. <laughs> Come by a ball. Can you just, just promise me one thing? If you reach a ranking event final this season, Will you moonwalk on your entrance? I will moonwalk on my entrance. Right, okay. This is the first ever 147 podcast. Everyone's heard that. Sean Murphy will moonwalk on his entrance if he reaches the ranking event final this season. Right, so it's pretty safe. Yeah, I'd say so. Last couple of questions. <laughs> uh, Patrick Healy on Facebook. Um, should there be more events in Ireland? I think Dermot Snooker asked a very similar question as well. Yeah, I mean, obviously, having lived in Ireland, you know, for the long, you know, last few years, you know, I've got to know the scene in, in the Republic very, very strongly. Um, and of course, having been a, you know, top 16 player for, you know, probably the best part of 20 years, um, not quite 20 years, but getting on that way, um, you know, you'd be recognised enough in the, you know, on the streets in in the UK and, and around the different places we go to. Um, it's not something you ever get used to, to be honest with you. You know, people asking for autographs and pictures. It's 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 still odd, you know, but people are very, very nice with it. You wouldn't believe how popular snooker is in Ireland. And when I moved there, you know, you no- a noticeable upturn in people recognising you on the streets, in restaurants, bars and pubs and places like that. Snooker is so popular over there. 
And it's a crying shame that there isn't any events over there in the Republic, you know, even an invitation event. But I know from having this direct conversation with with Barry Hearn um, and other promoters and other, you know, other people interested in putting events on, you know, it, it's all it's not sponsors. It's not the will of World Snooker Tour. It is broadcasters. Uh, and we're so lucky at the moment in snooker to be, you know, tied up with ITV4, um, Eurosport and obviously the BBC who put so much into snooker, not just in terms of money, but they put so much in um, that finding a broadcaster like that in the Republic has been very, very hard. And of course, without that partnership, events can't happen. Yeah, absolutely. It would be great. From my, my perspective, I would love to see more over there. The, the Belfast event is always amazing. Every time I've been to Southern Ireland, I've had a fantastic time. So I can imagine a snooker event down there would, would go down an absolute storm. So, yeah, absolutely. On Facebook, Amanda Davy. Amanda is one of the snooker goths who I think most people recognise in the crowd at the snooker. A um, couple of lovely ladies that, that go to so many events every year. Great support to the sport. She's asked us to spill the beans. She wants to know who's the nicest, the funniest, the meanest. And Amanda, I'm cleaning this one up ever so slightly. The utter toe rags on the tour. Um, I'm going to let you go on that, show. Mm. Well, worryingly, it might be a few of the guys who work in the media office out with you out the back. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not too sure. Certainly after some of the hot water they've got me in over the years. Uh, nah, listen, do you know what? With all the players on the tour, all the staff, everyone that makes events happen, um, you know, if you imagined you worked in an office of 200 or more, you know that's kind of the numbers we're talking about at any given ranking event, certainly from round one. Um uh, and, you know, you're not going to get on with everyone, are you? That's just the way it is, you know. And, and of course, and I'm sure every, all the players would say exactly the same. Um, I, you know, I think Mark Allen could wear a number of those hats, you know, be quite naughty, likes a practical joke. <laughs> uh, been known to get himself in hot water, good friend of mine. Uh, Matt Selt too, you know, always got an opinion on things, uh, but quite, a, quite an established opinion on a lot of stuff as well. Quite well read. Uh, and, you know, just waiting for that breakthrough, although he's, you know, the current, he likes to remind me, he's the current Indian Open champion. He does like to re- remind me of that. But uh, do you know what? I think because, and I'm not trying to sit on the fence here, this isn't me being boring. I, I, I think be- because in general, the vast majority of people in snooker, uh, you know, snooker has always been a, you know, a working class sport. We all come from the same side of the street in general terms. Most people are, are pretty sound. Uh, got a good moral base, uh, no right from wrong, um, you know, and most people are really nice and solid. The earth, I, I would agree with that actually completely, and I think not not just the players, as you said about the the media team and and everything else. I think it's like a big family, isn't it? When when you all get together, it is like a big family. And and whilst I I don't work that many snooker events, but when you do, when you when you walk in, you kind of greeted like mm. a, a cousin to mm. to everyone there, and. It, it's a wonderful feeling. It, it really is. So nicest, funniest, meanest and utter toe rags. Oh, do you know what? I'll, I'll leave that up to, to you, Amanda, to decide for yourself, which I'm sure you'll have an opinion. Right, final listener question we're going to do for today. There were others. I apologise for any we've missed out, but please keep them coming on social media at 147pod across Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. We will do more questions in future episodes. However... I've not got a name for who. Oh, it was Watch Art Watch on Instagram, okay? It's a bit long-winded, but stick with me, Sean. Which would you rather do? Be seen wearing Ken Doherty's socks? Be seen driving Steve Davis's ladder that he won for a 147 back in the day? 
lick the snooker ball that Alex Higgins licked, or wear pink in a modern-day recreation of Barry Hearn's classic Romford rap? Goodness me. I mean, that's that's not a great selection, is it? I don't want to do any of those things. Um, I think uh, the Lada car is possibly the worst car of all time. Steve always says it in his shows, you know, Jimmy got 147,000 for his maximum at the World Champs and Steve got the Lada. Unfair. Um, Ken's socks, I think, are possibly the worst fashion choice on tour. Um only only between him and David Gilbert for worse sock choice. Um, licking of the cue ball, not nice, is it? Um, it's not a nice thing to do. Um, no, not for me. So, yeah, I wouldn't say the pink suit's on order, but that would be my choice. <laughs> there you go then, Barry Hearn. Remake the Romford rap. You've got the man in pink. Personally, I'd wear Ken's socks. I think Ken's socks are tremendous. Me and Ken have had a few... Sock offs over the years, it's got to be said. Uh, Dave Gilbert's socks, they're shocking, aren't they? Shocking. They are absolutely Come on, the angry farmer, have a day off. That was listeners' questions. Now, there is one more thing we would like to do, which we'd like to make a regular part of the podcast before we go, because we've just come up to the one-hour mark, actually, amazingly. Every podcast, we are going to have a pointless question. The pointless question today, Sean, is you have discovered a beautiful island upon which... You may build your own society and make your own rules. What is the first rule you put in place? Well, it's big. I'm going deep. I'm banning religion. Oh, wow. And I'm installing Ricky Gervais as mayor. <laughs> That's day one. I think days two and three and four take care of themselves after I think that. they probably would, to be honest. Personally, I would, I've got to go route one. It, it's sort of a snooker podcast. Mobile phones off or on silent. That's my first rule. I don't want to hear any mobile phones go off. They don't need to ring. Everyone's got Apple watches and things. They don't need to ring. So my first rule on my my new society, on my beautiful island, mobile phones off or on silent. I feel like for episode one, we've set the tone, haven't we? You went soft with the mobile phone. I've gone big with the religion. All religions are banned from my society. Uh, We've set the bar. I think we have. Sean, it's been lovely. Great. Thank you very much. That was the 147 podcast with Sean Murphy and Phil Seymour. If you enjoyed what you've just listened to, make sure you subscribe, leave us a review, and interact with us across all forms of social media at 147pod. That's all words at 147pod. Thanks for listening. 
it. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.